starting today and finishing the month of August. Um, and if we'd love for you to stick around after worship and be a part of one of those classes. You can find all the classes that are listed in the bulletin. Um, I want to I wanna start us this morning by mentioning last week we started a new sermon series as we kind of began to kick off a new school year uh, in the book of Daniel. And in Daniel, we started in Daniel chapter 1. And what we learned in Daniel chapter 1, or what the person we met, the, one of the main characters we met was Daniel, the name, the guy, the book, the, the guy that the book is named after. But we also met uh, a really important character in the story of Daniel who will continue to show up at multiple turns around the story, the king in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of the Babylonian empire. And in and, and that time, the ancient Babylonian empire is located in what we know of today as Iraq, uh, Israel, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, that entire sort of area that we think of. It was this massive empire. The capital city is what we, of Babylon, is located about 60 to 70 miles south of the city that we know of as Baghdad. Uh, and so just kind of think about where we're talking about. And in the beginning of the story of Daniel, this massive nation, Babylon, goes and attacks and conquers Israel. And so just a few years before this, Babylon had defeated the most powerful nation at that particular point in the history of the world, a, a, a country, a nation known as Assyria. They had, a, they had defeated the Assyrians in battle to take the place of Assyria as the world superpower of that day. And so Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, this massive, ever-expanding nation, and he's continuing to conquer nations around him, and he's growing this nation into this empire. And so that was all chapter 1. We learned about Daniel, his three, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, which are not their original names. Those were names that the Babylonians gave to them. And so today we're going to turn into chapter 2 and look at the story a little bit more, a little deeper, and continue on this journey. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to, to Daniel 2 if you want to. You can also follow along here on the screens. We're going to begin in Daniel chapter 2. Uh, beginning in verse 1. This is what it says. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. These are not the kind of dreams that you have for your growing empire. This is a different kind of dream. His mind was troubled. These are nightmares, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in, and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. So Nebuchadnezzar has this really, really bad dream. He has become a really, really powerful guy as he has built Babylon into this great city, built Babylon into this great nation. And a part of the problem with people who are in positions of power tends to be that they often don't realize that they have limits. And they want to, or at least they won't acknowledge those limits. They're blinded by the power that they have, or they can be blinded by the power that they have. And I say blinded because even though people like Nebuchadnezzar know that they will eventually die, they don't want to talk about that or admit that, and they can sort of fool themselves into thinking that their legacy will continue and that the empire that they've built will go on forever and ever. And because of that, their power, they can also demand whatever they want, which is what happens here. 
Though you don't hear it maybe when you first read those first few verses of Daniel chapter 2, but it's, it's, it's sort of I say, you do, right? Build this, do that, go there, bring me this, interpret my dream, whatever it may be. I say it, somebody does it because I'm the king and I'm in charge. But I want, to, I want you to listen again or reflect again on what we just read in the first few verses of chapter 2. Did you hear what it said? As the story moves forward, we learn that even the most powerful kings are limited. Even the most powerful kings of the earth can't control everything. We read that Nebuchadnezzar is having these bad dreams. We would call them, again, nightmares, and he can't sleep. He's waking up. He's wondering what it is that he's seeing in these dreams. And so the king gathers his advisors. That's the way I would think about that group of people that were listed. His wise men, the astrologers, sorcerers, magicians. Think about this as Nebuchadnezzar's intelligence department. These are the people that are supposed to have knowledge, inside information. You might think of them as the CIA, right, his central intelligence agency. So he gathers the CIA and he says, I've had a bad dream and I don't know what it means. It's upset me. I know it means something, but I can't figure out what it is. You tell me because I can't sleep. And Nebuchadnezzar's intelligence agency says, may the king live forever, which is what you tell a king who has lots of power and you're nervous because you don't know what his dream means and you're worried that if you don't tell him what he wants to hear, he's going to kill you. And so they say, may the king live forever. You tell us what your dream was and then we'll tell you what it means. But Nebuchadnezzar says, wait a second, not so fast. I didn't become king because I'm dumb. I'm the king of Babylon after all, right? Anyone can make up the meaning of a dream. If I tell you the dream and then you tell me, how do I know that you actually know what I dreamed? Because I've already told you what I had a dream about. So he said, if you're really my intelligence agency, you'll tell me what I dreamed and then you'll tell me the meaning. Gotcha. And they said this in Daniel chapter 2 verse 10. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among humans. And I want you to remember that line. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, nobody can do what you've asked. This is too tall an order, too tall a task. It's impossible. And then they have this interesting line. The gods of Babylon, they don't, they don't live among humans. And so Nebuchadnezzar, as the story continues on, he says, fine. And as often happens in, with people in power, when they don't get their way, things can turn really, really ugly, really, really fast. And that's what happens in our story. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't like to be told no. He doesn't like the answer that this intelligence committee gives him. And so he sends Arioch, his, his, his guy that kind of does his grunt work, his chief of his kind of command. And he tells him to kill everybody in his intelligence agency. All the wise men. I told you last week if you were here, Nebuchadnezzar is crazy and ruthless and gets crazier as the story goes on. And so Arioch, because he doesn't want to die himself, he goes out to carry out this order from Nebuchadnezzar. And he, he's, you know, he's going out to all of these wise men preparing. 
And he goes to Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, our Jewish friends that we learned from chapter 1 that were carried out of Israel, carried off to Babylon against their will. And they're, they're, they're now a part of the Babylonian intelligence agency, which we learned more about last week. And so Arioch says, let's go. It's your turn, right? The firing squad is ready, however they're going to do it. You've got to line up against the wall. It's your turn to lose your life. The king has ordered it. The execution of all the intelligence, all the intelligence committee, all the wise men have to die. And Daniel says, wait, 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 just, just a second, Arioch. Like, let's talk about this a little bit, like any of us would do, right? Maybe there's a way we could come to a, you know, an agreement about something. What's happening? Why is this happening? And Daniel 2, verse 14 says that Daniel spoke to Arioch with wisdom and with tact. He's trying to calm him down, trying to buy himself some time. So he tells Arioch, this chief enforcer, he says, take me to Nebuchadnezzar. And so he does. He, he takes Daniel to the king, and Daniel is able to secure some time. He says to Nebuchadnezzar, just give us a little bit of time. Give me a little bit of time. We will pray to our God, Yahweh, and our God will tell us the dream, and then we will interpret it for you. And Nebuchadnezzar agrees, and he says, okay. So Daniel goes back, and he immediately tells his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to start praying. And he says, you guys start praying that God will grant mercy concerning this mysterious dream so that we won't die, right? At this point, they're just interested in staying alive in Babylon, trying to figure out a way to continue to be the people of God in a country that is not interested in helping them be the people of God. And so that night, Daniel goes to sleep. His friends are praying, and he dreams the same dream as the king. It doesn't scare Daniel like it does Nebuchadnezzar. It's not a nightmare to Daniel. Instead, this mystery of this dream is revealed to him. And so Daniel goes before the king to talk about this dream, and this is what happens in verse 26. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, which was his Babylonian given name. Daniel is his Jewish Israelite name. He says, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Starts the same way. Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or div div diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. It starts the same way that it did with the Babylonian intelligence agency. He says, you tell me the dream, and then you tell me the interpretation of the dream. And Daniel says, your, your, your wise men were right. There is nobody that can do this here, but there is a God in heaven that can. And you can imagine, I think, Maybe if you think about the story, Nebuchadnezzar getting furious, right? He's a guy who wants things done when he says that they need to be done. And one of the reasons that the book of Daniel was written was to record the story of Jews and teach them how to remain faithful to God while living in Babylon. But while they're living in Babylon, they learn things about the culture, they learn things about the customs, the people. They learn things about the Babylonian gods, the lowercase g gods. And around every story in the book of Daniel, if we have eyes to see it and ears to hear it, we see the way that our God, Yahweh, 
is being compared to the gods of Babylon. And the application, just so you don't think this is all about Bible history, is for you and for me to think about the ways as we're reading the story of Babylon and we also live in a place that is not always friendly to people who are trying to follow God. How do we follow the gods of Babylon? Instead, Yahweh. Part of what Daniel is saying is, my God in heaven reveals all mysteries. And while the gods of Babylon don't get involved in human affairs, you remember what the wise men said? Our gods don't live among humans. Daniel says, Yahweh does. Yahweh does live among people. And then Daniel explains the dream. And you can read more about it, but I'm going to explain it to you. This is what he says. He says, I'll tell you what the dream means. In your dream, you saw a giant statue. It was massive in size and stunning in appearance. The head of the statue was pure gold. Its chest and its arms were made of silver. Stomach area and thighs were made of bronze. Its legs were made of iron. And its feet, the feet, interestingly enough, were partly made of iron, were partly made of baked clay. That's what you saw in the dream, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay. And of course, now Daniel has Nebuchadnezzar's attention because Nebuchadnezzar knows this is, in fact, what he dreamed. You can imagine King Nebuchadnezzar leaning in a little closer. This is, this is exactly what he saw. And so Daniel continues. He says, then, after you saw this large statue that was built strongest at the top and weakest at the bottom, then in your dreams you saw a rock. It was a rock that was cut out of a mountain but not by human hands. Somebody didn't go in and chisel it. You just saw in this dream a rock being removed from the mountain. And then when you, when you saw the rock removed from the mountain, you saw this large rock smash into this statue. And the rock hit the feet that were made of clay. And when that happened, the entire statue begins to collapse. And as it collapsed and fell to the ground, the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the clay, they all fell into many pieces. And the wind then came in your dream, and it blew all of that away so that there was not any evidence of the statue that even remained. But that rock, Daniel says, the one that smashed into your statue that you saw, it began to grow right there in your dream. It began to grow into this, not just a large enough rock to smash this statue. It began to grow into this huge mountain, a mountain that filled the entire earth. And now Nebuchadnezzar is absolutely amazed. He's stunned. He says, that's exactly what happened. What does it mean? Please tell me. He probably didn't say please, but I like to imagine him saying it. And Daniel says, God has shown you the future. And if I'm Daniel right now, I'm a little nervous because I'm talking to the most powerful man on the planet. And I'm about to give him some bad news. He says, Dan, Daniel, he says Nebuchadnezzar, God has shown you the future. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. And I want to say here at this point, really quickly, the only piece of the statue that Scripture tells us about is the head of gold. That represents Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And there are lots of opinions. You can, 
go down a rabbit trail trying to look for people like prophecies and they like to figure things out. They're not all, that's not always a good practice. There's a lot of, been a lot of spilled ink over trying to explain what the silver and bronze and iron and clay are. The traditional Christian interpretation has been that the silver is the empire that comes after Babylon, Persia. And then the bronze is the Greeks and the iron is the Romans and the iron clay feet are either maybe a later Roman empire or some other empire. But we are only told what the head of gold means, nothing else. And so the point, I would say, is not to figure out what it is. The point is to get the point. And the point is this. No earthly kingdom, no earthly empire is eternal. And this is why I believe this is the interpretation. Because after Daniel shares what all all these details are about this statue, he says, Babylon is the empire of gold. But after you, Nebuchadnezzar, and after Babylon, there will come another empire, and 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 another empire. And then someday, Nebuchadnezzar, God is going to do something. He's going to fill the earth with his very own empire, his very own kingdom. And this kingdom is the only one that is eternal. And because of this, there is no reason to stake our hope in an empire because they will not be here forever. Only the kingdom of God will last forever. I want you to listen to how he says it in verse 44. In the time of those kings later, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the remaining of the, of the rock cut out of the mountain, not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Daniel tells the most powerful man on the planet that his nation is not going to last forever. He straight up says God's kingdom does not operate the way other kingdoms do. It doesn't get passed down. God's kingdom doesn't get passed down from one ruler to another because our ruler never dies. He's already died and he's been raised from the dead. And he doesn't even sleep, in fact. You had to sleep, Nebuchadnezzar, and when you did, you had bad dreams. But our God doesn't sleep. And the kingdom that God is establishing will endure forever. It doesn't have one territory. It fills the entire earth. Everywhere you go on planet earth, you can find God's people doing God's work. It's not ruled by humans. It's ruled by God. And then Daniel adds maybe just a little bit just to remind him who he serves. He says this dream is trustworthy and it's true. You can count on it is what he's saying. And what we know is that Daniel's interpretation of this dream has proven true. Amen? Amen? You are citizens of a kingdom that will endure forever. That should get us really excited. When Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar this dream, you know what his response was? Nebuchadnezzar's response actually was to bow. Go and read it. Daniel chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. It's a really interesting response, I think. I wonder as I read 
that Nebuchadnezzar's response was to bow to Daniel. I wonder if Nebuchadnezzar had ever bowed his knee to anybody before that moment. I doubt it. He just received bad news, and his response was to bow in Daniel's presence. He said he pays tribute to Yahweh and to Daniel and proclaims that God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the revealer of mysteries. He's amazed because, remember, he didn't tell anybody what his dream was. Somehow Daniel knew, and he knew this thing is, this is the real deal. He's impressed. And so he promotes, if you read through the end of chapter 2, Daniel to governor over the province of Babylon. At Daniel's request, he actually promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to administrative positions throughout the kingdom as well. And then chapter 2 comes to an end. And you get this sense as you see Nebuchadnezzar bow, you see him maybe show a little bit of humility. You think just for a moment that this crazy mad king is going to have a change of heart. But oh no, just turn the page to chapter 3, which will be in next week. And next week we'll show you that what he does is he just, re- after a little time thinking about it, he maybe decides, I don't like that interpretation. I'm going to reinterpret my own dream and I'm going to carry it out the way I imagine it. And so he's going to build himself a really large statue that's not made of different materials. It's solid. And so we'll explore that story. He goes in a very different place. The problem with Nebuchadnezzar and, frankly, the other kingdoms of the world is that they are only interested in themselves. They only want to be great and they only want to be remembered. They want to be empires of gold. And on this side of the cross, friends, what we understand and is what, as we think about, like, we understand something that Daniel, I don't even think, fully grasped. That Jesus is that stone in Daniel chapter 2. Cut out of the mountain without hands, born of a virgin, comes into this world, strikes the empire so that they are fading away to nothing, and his kingdom to come will fill the entire earth. And Jesus doesn't come to be great. Jesus comes to give his life. To help others live into God's imagined future for them. Jesus comes to serve and to be a servant. And this is what the early church knew about Jesus. I want to read the lyrics. I want to read you the lyrics to a song. A song that the early church sang in their worship services. Like the first generation of Christians. Like right after Jesus has died and been raised from the dead and ascends back to the Father The early church is beginning to form, beginning to gather, and they're writing songs. They want to worship. They want to celebrate what God has done. Like the first generation of Christians after Jesus had been on earth, we don't know exactly what the melody of the song was, but we know the lyrics. And Paul actually records it in Philippians chapter 2. It's a song about Jesus. And I want you to imagine, it's words that many of you have heard before, but I want you to imagine early Christians who, who maybe some of them were like first generation, they just, they didn't know, they didn't see Jesus in the flesh, but maybe they knew somebody that did, right? Maybe their grandmother got to see Jesus with her own eyes, and now they've passed it on to them. And this church in Philippi is maybe gathering, and they're like, well, we need to write some songs about this, this, this experience that we've had. And so this is part of, this is believed to be by many scholars, an early Christian hymn that is recorded right there in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. It says, who, and that who is Jesus. Jesus, being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Think about this. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because he did this, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you hear it? Can you hear the difference in the way the church, early church, talks about our king in comparison to how Nebuchadnezzar thinks about himself? Our king doesn't live off in the capital city somewhere, barking orders from on high. Our king became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And our God isn't going to build this eternal kingdom with military and and strong might and power and influence and wielding that power and influence to take over other people. Our king is going to build his kingdom as he dies on a cross. And it is through this king, church, Jesus Christ, that this early Christian church sang that every knee would bow. Every power and authority in heaven has been defeated, and every knee will bow. And I, I can't help but wonder. They, they knew the stories of Daniel. They knew the stories of Nebuchadnezzar. I can't help but wonder as they sang in some of those early Christian worship services, if they sang those words that we find in Philippians chapter 2, if they thought, man, every knee will bow, and they thought about old Nebuchadnezzar. Part of what Daniel 2 is inviting us to embrace is this. If you only take one thing away, I want you to take this. There is no God like our God. Amen? And until we believe that, the, that God is the only and eternal power that will outlast all other kingdoms, until we believe that, friends, we will always invest too much confidence and too much praise in other limited lesser powers. I want to say that again. There is no God like our God. Amen? We're getting a little stronger. And until we believe that God is the only eternal power that will outlast all other kingdoms, we will always invest too much confidence and praise in other limited lesser powers. There is no God like our God. Amen? And until we believe that God is the only and eternal power that will outlast all other kingdoms, until we believe that, we will always invest too much confidence and praise in other limited lesser powers. Like Daniel, we we can. Babylon can be our home. And he shows us a way to do that. And we can and we should Seek the welfare of the place where we live, like Daniel did. I actually think God requires it of us, demands it of us, that we will seek as God's people the good, the welfare of the places where we live, the community. We should care about the community that we live in. We should be involved in our schools. We should be involved in our communities in all sorts of ways. And we can, like Daniel, be involved. Daniel's elevated to positions of power 
His friends are elevated to positions of influence. But while we do that, we must remember that it still remains Babylon, and it can never and will never become the new Jerusalem. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning. We are mindful, Father, that you are building an eternal kingdom, and we are honored and humbled to be citizens of this kingdom that will endure long after we're gone because we serve a king that will never die, that has defeated death, and that now sits on the throne. Help us to embrace embrace this truth that there is no God like you, to evaluate in our own lives the ways that we have trusted too much in other lesser limited powers, given too much confidence, given them too much praise, thinking that they might bring us some life or hope or fulfillment. I pray that we as a church will seek the welfare and the good and the beauty of this community, of our county, of our state, of our country, that we will be citizens, we'll be the best citizens that this place has ever seen or known, that we'll contribute, we'll make a difference, we'll impact our neighborhoods and our, our neighbors and our schools and our relationships, we'll, the fruit of your spirit will come out of us and will influence the lives of people around us because we are yours and we're a part of your kingdom. And while we do that, may you remind us constantly that you are doing those things in and through us to continue to expand and grow the kingdom that you came to build on earth that will fill the entire earth that is the rock that became the mountain. We thank you for your word and for the way that it continues to be relevant and teach us thousands of years later after the stories took place. We pray you give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see this morning. Give us hearts to receive what you have taught us. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ and the church said, amen. If you would stand with me this morning, we're going to sing one song and then be led in our shepherd's prayer. Uh, If you have any desire to respond to God in whatever way you need to do that, let's do that uh, while we sing this song together.